Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Stay Curious, a podcast where we want to create diversity in thought without also creating division and community, and where we want to provide a time and a place for you to remember how to think, but not tell you what you should think. I am your co-host, Matt Fisher. I'm the creative director here at Hill City, where we record this and every episode of the podcast. And I'm here, as always, with my co-host, pastor of Hill City Church. (laughs) The dream weaver. <laughs> the reverend. Wags. Yes. Wags. What's going on, man? Oh, man. The coronavirus. It is going it's on. It's a thing. Um, cool. Well, uh, we are not here to talk about coronavirus, though it seems like one of those topical things we would, <laughs> we would talk about, would, but like yeah. way too late. I know. That's true. <laughs> we'll wait until like a year after they've cured it, and then we'll have a rundown. We are here to continue our series on this idea of masculinity, and we're here um, with a very special guest, pastor of the Lux Church, and our dear friend, Manny. Manny Pena, what's going on, man? Nothing much. Great to be here. Nice, nice. Get up on that mic. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, Manny, tell us a little bit about yourself before we get going. Tell us about your church. Tell us about sort of um, what you're about, where you're from, and where you're at now. Uh, yeah, well, um, in 2018, actually, my wife and I had the privilege of, of uh, transitioning and being coming the, becoming the lead pastors of uh, Lux Church uh, for over 18 years. It was known as Destiny City Fellowship. Uh, my father and my mom founded the church and, and planted it, and um, so we're privileged to be able to now take into its next season, if you will. Um, I have four daughters. Um, oldest is 12, youngest is five. I've um, been married for 18 years, and so um, love uh, Richmond. Um, being able to uh, work here and serve here with so many uh, wonderful pastors and leaders in churches such as WAGS, yourself, and, and Hill City. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, Hispanic as well. Um, I come from New York City, so I'm a New Yorican. Um, <laughs> though uh, 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 the actual uh, uh, you know, cultural uh, background is Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom uh, is uh, born and raised in the United States. My father was raised in Puerto Rico. Uh, learned English as a second language, um, and uh, now it's his first language. He's forgotten Spanish. <laughs> wow, really? <laughs> no, no, he hasn't. Okay, I was like, I was like I was oh like, my gosh, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah. No, you, you don't forget it. It's just broken now. And yeah. uh, and um, and so uh, yes, yeah, so you know, my I'm a, uh, come from a Hispanic background, uh, Puerto Rican uh, culturally, uh, inner city uh, born, and also you know over the past few years raised in more of an affluent wealthy community. So I've had the privilege of being comfortable in both uh, environments as well. So a little bit of a, uh, you know, broad stroke of uh, who I am. I mean, I'm not trying to hood check you right now, but yeah. where in New York are you from? Oh, uh, uh, Harlem. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Harlem. Cool. Yeah, Johnson Projects, 117th and Lexington Avenue. So it's legitimate. All right. <laughs> it's legitimate. <laughs> like I said. Didn't I mean, go on the resume. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nobody ever hood checks me, but when I say, when they do, and I'm like, I'm from Daytona Beach, Florida, they're like, oh yeah, that's like kind of its own thing. <laughs> <laughs> Ski ball ghetto. Um, uh, cool. Well, so yeah, Manny, bringing up that you uh, are of Puerto Rican background and, and ethnicity, that was one of the things um, that we really wanted to sort of explore with you was this idea of masculinity. And, you know, John and I only have so much perspective as both white guys. Um, and so we wanted to kind of chat with you a little bit about 
what does masculinity mean to you from your um, so, sort of sociocultural background, not just as um, a Puerto Rican man uh, or a Puerto Rican descent, but also somebody, like you said, who sort of lived on both sides of the socioeconomic line? Yeah. Um, I, just on the front end, um, again, I, ne- I never want to overgeneralize and speak for an entire uh, group of people. Um, but I think there are certain realities that transcend even our own culture uh, as, uh, again, a, a Caribbean a Hispanic um, that has many different influences from Spaniard, Eastern European to, of course, um, African and indigenous Indians that were in the on the island, you know, previous to the colonization. Um, and yet then, of course, you have Spaniard, then you have your, you know, Mexican and Central American. And, and we have very distinct uh, um, uh, perspectives and cultural identities. But yet I think we can have some some uh, broad strokes of, of realities that we all deal with. And I think in that is masculinity. Mm. Um, I think generally um, it, it, there's a sense of uh, machismo that it would be called, uh, a, a pride that stems with being the patriarch, being the leader of not only the home, but ultimately within these uh, lo- localities, these, these, these um, environments, you're, you're the leader of community um, mm. as well. Um, it's interesting, though. It's an interesting di- dichotomy because, you know, the, the man stands out in the forefront, but yet truly the woman runs the show. <laughs> I don't know. I think that there might be similar in, in many cultures. But, um, you know, uh, ultimately the, the toxic masculinity that I would identify culturally would be growing up. I remember and I, I'm grateful that God has done redemptive work in um, many of my family. Um, but uh, it was uh, heavy drinking. Um, and so that was part and parcel. And it, that's not just reference to my family. I mean, this was all of the Hispanic men that I was around. May it be limited um, to where we were, but that was all I saw growing up. Um, heavy drinking, um, uh, a, a lot of um, uh, coarse joking um, and de- uh, uh, demeaning of women, um, including oftentimes even, you know, the women that were even within their own homes. Mm. Um on the other side of that, my father, again, you know, the father he had for a few years of his life before he just up and left was an abusive, alcoholic womanizer. Mm. That's, that was the example of, of manhood that he had. Um, I, never, I never had that example because by the age of 17, the Lord found my dad and everything changed. Mm. Um, and so I always start with my dad because my story could have been very different if he would have allowed himself to go down the rabbit hole of uh, cultural identity. Well, you're a statistic, uh, you, this is who you are, you're a minority, you're uh, poor, uh, you come from a home with high risk factors. If you're looking at the you know, social uh, re, um, you know, world, you're high risk factors, you have less than a you know, 10% chance of making it out of the ghetto. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and being actually contributing citizen of, our, you know, of, of society. Um, and so I, I think of that because uh, my father still allowed me to stay close to the family that we love and we pray for, never wanted to ever think too highly of ourselves, but also was drawing some fine lines of this, this, this is not acceptable, even though it's acceptable as part of our culture, her- mm. cultural heritage. Mm. Um, and so uh, that's what I grew up seeing. Um, my grandfather as well was, was, was uh, you know, I say heavy drinker, you know, alcoholic was the reality. Um, in that, uh, many falls later in his life uh, obtained Parkinson's disease, uh, was attributed to brain injuries from falls and fights, and mm-hmm. and that stemmed from again this machismo culture of uh, we work hard. Now, you know, within uh, the Hispanic culture, we are not afraid to work, um, and so I think part of that comes from we provide in the home, um, and outside of that, you know, oftentimes our 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 area of rest can be 
um, in unhealthy places. Again, I'm not generalizing. I'm giving the perspective that I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, and even still today, as I work in community and, 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 and want to be able to love and understand community more, this becomes and is uh, seen as uh, normatives in, 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 in our society. Mm-hmm. Um, as well. So that's what I grew up seeing um, as far as around me. But in my home, I had a biblical perspective of what masculinity is, you know, um, and, and I, I'm grateful for that. Um, and even still today, you know, I, I, I'm challenged with how masculinity and its definitions are consistently being um, uh, confronted um, and, and, and questioned. And so uh, I, I love this opportunity because it allows us to really explore um, okay, are there certain erroneous ideas that ought to be globally done away with? Mm. Um, or are there some areas that we really need to uh, uh, consider and, and um, you know, therefore ask, well, how ought, to, how ought I begin to, you know, change the way that I live? So um, I hope that answered your question. But uh, in our community, uh, specifically Puerto Rican, but I think broader Hispanic, um, there is a uh, machismo or very prideful uh, uh, male presence um, whose job is to bring in the money. Uh, that's the way they show love and care for the family. Oftentimes, not all the times, but oftentimes, um, that really creates absentee father, even though the father is in the home, um, a void of emotional um, uh, availability to the children and also to the wife. Um, and then uh, wife, mom is usually the one that is the homemaker, is caring for the home, is cooking, is cleaning. Um, and uh, I'm not opposed to whatever the roles are decided upon for man and wife, right? They can choose if, if you know, whatever those roles are going to be. Um, but I don't believe that it should be a, a de facto default of expected. This is who you will be. This is who I will be. And if you don't like it, get over it because I'm the man. Mm. Um, and so, uh, uh, again, I think culturally, if you would ask some more, you know, uh, j- uh, current generation Hispanics, I think we've walked away from that. Uh, but if you look further down the line back to our, our you know, uh, grandparents and great grandparents, um, they even look at us. I've had family of mine that are older and like, how, why are you doing what you're doing? Mm-hmm. Like this isn't you know to talk my wife to to my wife even like you need to be in the home you need to right. clean everything for you no we've communicated mm-hmm. we understand how our house will function mm-hmm. and just because this was the way it was done with you doesn't mean that this is the way it's going to be done now and those are just cultural things not even getting into biblical things mm-hmm. um, that we've that I've uh, 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 you know noticed. Did you see anything begin to change at all when you guys went from? Um, a lower income area to a little more affluent. Did anything shift or change for you guys from a masculinity perspective or family perspective that you're like, man, this never would have happened. Like when we, where we used to live. Yeah. I think that's a great point. So I, I was giving the perspective of what I saw around me. I'll give you the perspective now of what I saw in my home. I, I saw a man and woman who were consistently uh, trying to identify uh, how they could re- be repentant to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, at my, my dad knows, uh, you know, he'll hear this and, and, and he'll be just fine. Um, you know, he, he had severe anger issues, you know, growing up. Um, he was in the military right out of uh, uh, graduated high school, got married, went straight to military. Um, he was a one-on-one Air Force or Airborne Division Screaming Eagle and did well there, got connected to God there. But yet, of course, there were still, um, you know, uh, wounds that had yet to be healed. And from there, anger came forth. And then, of course, my mom, she is your quintessential Latina female. Uh, so you got two bulls in the home, um, not willing to relent. Um, 
um, and their point will be heard, and you will acquiesce to their point. And if you don't, well, we're going to keep fighting. Um, so growing up, we consistently saw those realities take place, but ultimately we saw men and women that were repentant towards to God and also to each other. And so I, I'm an outlier. You know, I got to see both worlds because my mom and dad chose not to shelter me, chose to expose me in a healthy way. Um, so that we can carry conversation, um, you know, uh, concerning what we saw. But in the home, when even when we were, I couldn't afford a 25-cent cheeseburger. Did anyone remember cheeseburgers at McDonald's were 25 <laughs> yeah. cents? Yeah, I do remember. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. You know, in New York, they had White Castle, so you can get one for like a dime. <laughs> um, and, and so, I mean, literally, that's where we were. But through that, you know, back in the day, you know, my dad would sit me at the table. I can remember this. I was like seven or eight years old and he was going through Larry Burkett's financial, you know, program, the, the, the old Dave Ramsey. Yeah. And, uh, and he would tell me, son, I would love to take you out to eat right now, but I can't because we haven't managed our money well. By the time I pay all the bills, I've got to figure out who I'm not going to pay because I can't pay all them all at the same, in the same month. This will not remain. But I need you to see this so that you don't follow in these bad footsteps. And so this is the upbringing that I had, you know, where we were brought into the pain of our family so that we can pray for redemptive, you know, healing and, 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 and you know, uh, to do better in our family as well. So from poor to where, you know, my dad is now and where we are graciously to, you know, be having being all right. Um, I, I saw one consistent thing in my household was. A man and a woman who knew that uh, in Christ, um, you know, they could they could become. Um, I, I hate saying better versions of themselves, but they could be they could become who they were created to be in Christ, outside of the cultural and societal, um, uh, you know, weights that would be placed on them. So from from being in impoverished environments to moving in '86 to Richmond and living in our first you know, apartment, and then a townhouse a year after that, and then my dad buying a house a year after that, and then me being in Henrico County Schools. <laughs> this was insane. Um, I was the first Hispanic in Longin Elementary, right here in okay. Henrico. There were no Hispanics there. Uh, I took a standardized test. There wasn't even Hispanic on the test. Uh, this is when they were testing out SOLs. I come home confused, like, what am I? Am I Eskimo? Am I African American? Am, am I Caucasian? Am I Eastern European? There's nothing. I'm other. What does other mean? And so early on, I began to have conversations about race, identity, and who I am, um, and who, you know who we were. So um, in our house and in my house, I'll tell this story as well about masculinity. You know, years later, I, I just was in Haiti, being able to speak to uh, uh, many pastors that deal with this type of fear, power, reality. Um, and if you show weakness, then it, you won't survive very long in, in, in this type of culture. Um, but yet with our leaders, we're trying to bring them to come to a place to have vulnerability and transparency with one another, but that doesn't come naturally. And so, you know, there's a story of, you know, later on in life, I'm 16 years old and, and, um, and, and my dad and is having, uh, uh, you know, an argument with my mom and, and uh, it's, it's getting escalated. My dad never laid his hand on my mom. A plate might have thrown across the room or a couple fists in the wall real quick, um, but never laid a hand on my mom. And uh, But this time, for some reason, I just saw it escalating. And now I'm a little bit of a man now, right? I think I am anyway. You talk about masculinity, <laughs> yeah. right? I'm like, I see. I'm like taller than you now. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I get bravo and I step up. And uh, long story short, my dad in his rage didn't realize where I was and threw me down the stairs. 
Um, I pop back up real quick, and he goes downstairs, pops up, sees me in the eyes, and he runs out the house. Mm. Um, that could have been a pivotal moment in me really going away from the church because mm. he was an elder of the church. He was you know, a teacher in the church. and uh, But that was the most important moment in my life because I remember the next day my dad walking into my room asking permission to come in in tears, uh, repenting. And the first thing he said was, son, I'm repenting, but because I don't want you to ever think that this is acceptable, nor is it a picture of your father in heaven. I'm, a, I'm an imperfect, broken being that is in need of continual you know, healing. Um, and he just sat there and, and repented, and then we spoke. And, and I say that is one of the most pivotal moments in my life, because in that moment, I saw what real manhood is. I saw that manhood takes responsibility for their actions um, and ultimately um, uh, has an authentic, uh, genuine uh, um, you know, repentant heart uh, towards those that uh, he's, you know, hurt or brought pain or injustice to. Um, and I say it was true repentance because it never happened again. Mm. Never happened again. Um, so these are some of the things that I've saw in my household yeah. beyond my peripheral. Well, I think that even you mentioning the repentant part and seeing your dad do that, you know, it. I think cross, that's more of like a generational thing, right? Where you didn't see that stuff in older men. Never, like, exactly. That, you know, and that's like, that goes beyond race or ethnicity or whatever like that was a just such a consistent thing that was wired in to just mend for that whole time and and you see the fractured nature mm. of men now because you know like they're in and i and i don't blame like i it's funny because i was in a conversation with someone this is probably six eight months ago now we were talking about some of this stuff and and they were and they were like kind of blaming older men and i, and I just said you know what though mm-hmm. Like they just didn't have. We've used this analogy a lot here, in, in particular, Lacey and I. They just don't have a lot of tools in the toolbox, right? You know what I mean? It's like you right. you want you you want your dad or maybe your grandfather to be able to have been this like to bring you in and hug it out with you and have like this repentant conversations and say I'm sorry and all those other things. But the reality is that would have taken a screwdriver and like all these other all these other yeah. tools that they don't have, and they just had a hammer. Right. You know, and, and like that's, bar. yeah. And like, that's like, <laughs> that's all they were pulling from. Right. And so to some degree, it's, you know, there, it's like an interesting dynamic, I think, with masculinity right now, because there, there is a very real problem that existed with men for so long mm-hmm. that was untouched, whether that's, right. that's how they treated women or let their anger go, or to your point about saying, Hey, you're just supposed to provide for the family, and like, and you were absent, right? right. And but that was expected of men, and but then that caused all this other junk, yeah. And so that's a very, very real problem. But at the same time, it's like you got to have grace, yes, because it's like they didn't know any better. Like no one was like, hey, let's let's take an emotional intelligence test (laughs) and see where you're at. You know, I mean, that just wasn't a thing. And so they would have put out the hammer. I know they would have. Yeah. They were like, I'll show you emotional intelligence. (laughs) But like, anyway, you mentioned something that I thought was interesting that, um, by, by having other and like that, like as how old were you when you, when you, Uh, I think I was, uh, I was around the same time, eight years old. Okay. Eight years old. Did that play in at all? Like in terms of how you, because um, I can't imagine that, right? I can't imagine like going to a test and and just checking other, and then as an eight year old being like, "What does that mean for me? Mm-hmm. How did that impact just how you like your own identity with all of it?"
how did that impact just how you, like your own identity with all of that? Again, I, I think I'm more of a, you know, outlier, as Malcolm Gladwell would put it, <laughs> because that had the potential of, of really causing an, an identity crisis, um, especially if I didn't have parents who were able to engage in that conversation and, and begin to affirm me in my identity. Um, and so when that took place, the first thing that my dad told me was, son, uh, we, uh, uh, again, this was in faith speaking out that I would in one day espouse to the faith that he you know, ascribe to um, as we were raised. It, look, this is our faith. One day it will, it, will, it will become yours or it will not. That's up to you and, and what you see as truth or not. But what he would communicate to us is that, uh, yes, we are born in brown skin uh, in, in the lens of a community, uh, a, a Puerto Rican uh, cultural background. But once Christ comes into the picture that we're, we're kingdom citizens and we're children of God, and our greatest title is not my last name, Peña, but it is a child of God. And so very early on, my identity was beginning to be shaped in fashion in the reality that I'm a child of God, even before I understood really what that meant. Um, and so, uh, so that really was the conversation that we started having. Now, from that as well, my mom and dad really became t- intentional with teaching, more, teaching me more about my, my cultural roots. Um, so it wasn't either or, right? I think that's, that's damning for children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if you just bring them this whole idea of, uh, of, I think you need to bring the reality of faith, but I think you also need to bring the reality of what they're going to face on this earth. Yeah. Um, and early on, I didn't deal with it well, though, John. I, you know, um, uh, so early on, I told you about what I saw as machismo. And then also, I, I came from New York. The most of my life, I mean, I was very young when we moved from New York City here. Um, and uh, growing up in school, I began to realize that I got cred for being from New York. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so they were like, where are you from? Harlem. New York? Yes. And I was like, wait, every time I say that, like, people back up. And so I became in Richmond. I became the kid in New York that no one messed with. Right. And I embraced that. That was not what I was taught. Um, and my dad would tell me, you're not really from New York. Like, you're from there, but we protected you. Like, your mother and I, we fought every day on the streets, you know? Like, like my mom is, 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 is 100% Puerto Rican, but she's because of I can get it. We're, I say, please. This might be cultural. I call us, we're mutts, right? My, 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 my mom, my grandfather's side has Eastern uh, Spaniard descent. My father's side is all indigenous, Taino, Indian, and African. So, you know, I'm more of my father's complexion. My grandfather, who I never met, he looked black. Um, and so my mom is blue-eyed, blonde hair, white, right? If I show you my four daughters, two are olive skin, two are white with blue eyes. So you never run, the, and I got to walk around with their birth certificates because they think I've abducted two children. <laughs> so I'm not joking. Like, I wish that was a joke. I am not joking. And so, uh, so with that, you know, my mom was uh, uh, assaulted almost every day as a Puerto Rican girl in Harlem, New York, because she was not accepted by uh, a certain sect of people. And then she wasn't accepted by the Hispanics because she was too white as well so she was literally every day of her life she fought for her life and she was good at it (laughs) at least that's what they told me and so uh and so you know i heard those stories and then all of a sudden like you know you're a child and you're like wait a second i had no need to fight when i was in school but i was like no i began to espouse and i began to embrace this reputation that was um not me 
Um, and well, why was that? Because ultimately there were still things being, I was Mexican in school. No one knew what a Puerto Rican was. So everyone saw me in brown skin and my nickname in school was Speedy Gonzalez. Mm. That was why I was fast. Now, I mean, that made sense to an extent as far as speed, but it wasn't just about the speed. Yeah. That's the only brown thing they can make sense with. Um, and so uh, uh, I wouldn't say I was offended by it, but early on, I began to sense this and, and, and realize these truths. So I be, began to embrace something that really wasn't who I was. And that was me really almost all the way up through high school till about the ending of my ninth grade year. Um, where the, the Lord really began to deal with me of, of identity and say, you've got to drop some of these, you know, uh, uh, personalities that are not who you are. I was an eighth grader in varsity baseball with men, basically. And I'm in the locker room. And I'm like just trying to prove that I deserve to be there, not only athletically, but just with who I am. And the Lord was like, listen, I've got something for you to do and you need to be who you are. So in ninth grade, I began to figure out who I actually was. Um, and I had to drop this reality that, or this false reality, this narrative that I was this tough kid from New York City. Um, and so that's what really that question began to do. And, and other kids began to ask me questions or just call me Mexican. And, and, and I never was offended by that. You know, I, I, by God's grace, because of my father's teaching, I, you know, I, mentorship, I was never offended by other people's ignorance. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying that's the norm for, for anyone, sure. but I, I just saw it as you're ignorant and I'm okay with that. Um, just don't get too close to me because that's when the persona came on. I'm the tough kid from New York and I'll punch you and leave. I mean, that's just where I was. And so uh, so I think some of that began to happen when we were having these great conversations and truth was being dispensed. But yet I was still finding a way to cope with those realities that I yet not developed an understanding on how to deal with it. And so if I was not able to be identified on this standardized test, I was going to create my own lane um, so that I could benefit from it. Yeah. How, um, so you've mentioned a couple of times this sort of machismo and like your dad's anger stuff that, yeah. that was sort of a mix of, uh, cultural, but also experiential with the army or with the military. Um, how do you relate to that now? Like, how do you, um, relate masculinity and aggression or anger as a father and a husband today? I, I think aggression is necessary to an extent, right? I mean, when it's, when it's when it's uh, pointed at a right, let's say, injustice, if you will. Um, and again, it's, it's, it deals with me, everything deals through scripture, self-control. So if, if I'm aggressive towards something, it's not meaning I'm going to go after you and, and, and beat you up. Mm-hmm. But it means I want to identify, you know, what are going to be our next steps to be able to make certain that, that this can stop, that this can continue, whatever that might be. I have four daughters. And so there are certain times where I am aggressive because I see others being aggressive to my children. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has to be tempered. It has to be calculated, et cetera. So, so I, I, I'm not saying that I reject, if you will, aggression wholeheartedly. I, I think there are, uh, uh, again, the scriptures say to be angry but not sin, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so, uh, and I think I learned that well from my dad because early on he was angry and he sinned. Um, and it, we saw that in the household. But we saw very evident as well how quickly there was repentance. And we was true repentance because literally when he asked the Lord to help him, he devoted himself to that and we never saw it happen again. Um, so for me, I think what I learned was I think every generation should be better than the previous. Um, by no means am I perfect and by God's grace, he'll continue to perfect me. Um, but that's something that I've carried into my own household. Mm-hmm. Um, there are still certain times, you know, my, my, so I grew up in a house that was loud mm-hmm. all the time. 
Just and my wife grew up in a house. She was one of five kids, but she was the only child between her and her her new her mom's new 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 husband. Mm-hmm. And um, she, her mom had her at forty five years old, mm-hmm. right? And so that house was quiet. They never argued. They already were a season of life where they they just never argued and 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 they talked everything out. It was just and I would go to their house like, what's wrong with these people, <laughs> right? Like she would cook my this again part of the Hispanic model, right? She would cook people in the house whatever they wanted. My house, whatever my dad wanted. So this is still part of that, you know, cultural stuff, right? Whatever my dad wanted is what the family ate. Mm. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. It was that, like I hated be, rice and beans. That'd bro. be nice. I'm not gonna lie. No, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> At this point, are you gonna accept that, John? You gonna bring that? In? At this point, I just want my family, my kids to eat. I know. Yeah. That's how I am too. I, my kids I suck at so, eating. So, so no, like for for us, this might be considered abuse in these days. Like if we did not eat what was on the table, we just did not eat. Right. Um, and so th- th- those are some cultural things that now, you know, I'm like, and I would go to my, 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 my back then girlfriend's house and my, uh, now mother-in-law would ask me like, Hey, what do you want to eat? I'm like, what do you mean? What did you cook? I'm like traumatized. Yeah. I'm going to eat whatever you make. I'm don't, don't, this is a trick question. Um, but she was on this other side as well, where not only did she serve her husband, whatever he wanted, but she was just this ultimate kind of homemaker and was ready to cook at a whim's notice. And if you didn't eat all her food, she was offended. Yeah. Um, not offended. I love you. You know who you are. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, felt a certain type of way, as our kids would say. Yeah. Um, and so, um, I, you know, I, I think in my house now, it's it's a it's a growth of take trying to take the best of our culture mm-hmm. because by no means are there is everything in anyone's culture negative you have richness in culture i think that's what you all are trying to do is pull out the richness within the cultures that are identified um and so my wife and i by god's grace are trying to identify like the richness so in our house you know um i i, I my wife will we, we'll make will make what the kids want right but we usually try to agree on what the meal is um, but at the same token, you know, we've had seasons where we are in a tight budget. We're cr- trying to get to a next level, if you will. Mm-hmm. So we've got to steward everything we have to what we've got to talk with the kids. Like, hey, honestly, no, today we're all eating spaghetti. Like spaghetti is the least expensive food that we can get right now. And we're going to eat spaghetti and we're going to enjoy it. So that's kind of like my way of being my dad, but in a more, you know, uh, political way, yeah. <laughs> if you will. Kinder way. Yeah. <laughs> Kinder way, trying to win my children to spaghetti. Um, and usually we're there, but I, I would say I love my, my upbringing. I love the diversity of it. I love learning and hearing about my wife's upbringing. What we try to do is say, what are the best of those worlds? The worst of them, let's learn from them. And by God's grace, let us not repeat these things. Like I've never thrown a plate, right? I've never punched a hole in a wall. Okay, that's true. I've never punched a <laughs> hole in a wall. Um, I've stormed out, yeah. right? Um, early in our marriage, I would storm out. Because, um, you know, I just was concerned that I would act out because I had anger issues as well. Um, And she hated that because she knew when I stormed out, I would drive aggressively. And back then I had a sports car and Fast and Furious was still in my veins. (laughs) I just wanted I wanted a race. Um, And so so that was my way of taking that toxic masculinity, but like diffusing it. But yet still it being very harmful in many ways, because I still I still left my wife emotionally deprived of the conversation that she so needed. Um, uh, so, uh, so I would say that it's, it certainly has affected us, but I think in the positive. I think that we've tried to look at what has been uh, good and try to keep those things and then what has been negative. Um, all the while trying to you know, d- deal with the reality within our community um, without, like you said, we want to cause people to think about what they're doing, never want to tell them what to do. So I, I work in a community as well that these realities are very present. Mm-hmm. 
they're very present. And so just being able to listen and from our lens of having experienced these things, being able to just pose question and opportunity to reconsider, you know, what they're experiencing and how they're reacting or how they're um, not responding well to their environment or to their cultural influences that are negative. And sometimes we are loyal to our culture to a fault. Um, and and I think... I, I, I've never been a, a, a fan of loyalty to things or systems or even people that ought, we ought not be loyal to. And I think culture has that same dynamic, that we intrinsically feel that we must be loyal to this culture. Um, and um, I think that has, to be, um, that has to be questioned. You know, it reminds me just hearing you talk and just the interactions with your dad and everything. As we've been talking about manhood and masculinity, um, I feel like one of the other things that crosses all generations and all ethnicities is this idea that real manhood becomes this idea of being there, you know, like the, the, so you're, you know, even the faults of your dad, you, he was there, he was there, come on, you know, and, and you could get past certain things and like, and when things were getting in a better place from, he was still there, Mm -hmm. you know, and he was able to, you were able to see that element of it. And, you know, it's just so often that like men aren't there, mm-hmm. you know, I think now what's so to your point about the next generation being better than the last in some ways, whatever I or I should say maybe they're tweaking something, you know, I don't want to claim superiority, right, but like right, there's right. like a sure, but more informed. Yeah. So it's something <laughs> I, I guess I don't know. But one of the things that I think when, you know, I think if you're thinking about like, say, a boomer generation. Yeah. You would say like a dad just being there was a big deal. Like Absolutely. Just, just there. Like not not emotionally there, not but just like there That's is a right. big deal. Now I think it's starting to shift, right? Where it's like, no, 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 it's it's there in a different way. It's you're yeah. there emotionally, you're there for your wife in a different way, or you're there it feels like this is something that when we talk about manhood and I don't know, I just started even like as you were talking, I was just like thinking about scripture and thinking about man. In the end, though, we don't have like really many examples in scripture of like good men. Yeah. Uh, zero of good families. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, and right. so, um, but yet the, the, the times that you see a good male in scripture, there's this element of like, they're there, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they're present and they're there. And I think so often with men, I don't, I don't, I wonder why that is this way I because it can't be just because it crosses generations and crosses ethnicity so it's like there is this element within men it feels like that they just don't want to be there yes okay so that, I, I can <laughs> this might end up being one of those long mat <laughs> so I can cut it out sometimes I talk Bring too it, much because <laughs> um, I, I think about this a lot um, I think that the thereness is like a very base level, like this is the least you need to do. Mm. In the Bible, when actually all religion, almost all religions talk about this, but for us in our context in the Bible, when they talk about this idea of the flesh and the spirit and the like sort of struggle between my flesh wants to do X, Y, Z, but I know my spirit wants to do ABC. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have always started, or I've recently kind of started to think about the flesh as a stand-in for like our amygdala or like our reptile, that back part yeah. of the brain that says punch, run, have sex, sure. you know, eat, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the man disappearing is the man completely abandoning his spirit mm-hmm. and saying, I am going to give myself over to my genetic imperative to roam. Because cavemen, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
did sure, that. Right? Yeah, it yeah, was like yeah. we gotta we gotta propagate. So that's just good. like any animal, like I'm gonna go around because um, that's what I'm here to do. I'm yeah. here to go around, right? Uh, but you know, the Bible calls us to embrace our spirit over our flesh, and I think the flesh is just like one of the, just like repentance is is kind of just like an old school word for self assessment mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I think the flesh is just an old school word for hey, you have this like animal part of your brain that like helps you to sleep and eat and reproduce, but like that ain't the thing. Yes, so right. don't do that. Like go by your spirit, go mm-hmm. by what God gave you, not by what not not by the dust of you, but by the breath that He breathed into you, right? And I think that the disappearance thing of men is when a man decides I am going to give over. Because if any of us as men, yes, married men for I'm 13 years. You said 18 years. How long have you been? 19 and a couple more months. than more than yeah. 10 years for all of us, yeah. right? Even though I'm the youngest, um, we've all had that. We've all gotten out of an argument with our wives or something complicated with the kids or something, and that thing clicks. We're like, I gotta go. Yeah. It's the walking out, right? That's right. You walk out for a short amount of time. That's right. So I gotta go. <laughs> yeah. I gotta get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's that it's that caveman brain clicking in, being like, "Yeah, dude, you gotta go. Go yeah. fight the other f word and yeah. and yeah. food. That's what yeah. you gotta do." Yeah. And you know, our Christ teaches, and the, the Bible teaches us, like, "Hey, that's there, but that's not the thing." So I think that's what it is. Is like that choice to stay, even to stay and wow. be angry, or to stay and drink, or to stay in whatever. Even though you're making all the worst decisions, and I'm sure that there are some people listening to this who had abusive fathers who were just like, I kind of wish he he wasn't there. Right. Yeah, so I get yeah. that too. Right. But I think that staying is is a man's base level saying like, I don't know much, but I know that like this thing that's telling me to leave is not the thing, even if I'm going to stay and be broken and, and awful. Does yeah. that make sense? It does. I think was it that does. A long Matt thing. No, no, no. <laughs> I think Bishop Matt. That's a Come good. On, that's a good Matt thing. No, I. <laughs> Well, you know, it also makes sense then why it's so easy for a guy to get disconnected, you know, because you think about how often we were raised in environments where that was the case, like you just disconnect from things or a man walks out or a man does whatever. And so it's so easy to just disconnect from something emotionally or disconnect from something and walk out or do whatever. And it, it feels like that's the right thing to do. Right. Yeah. I read an article just not too long ago, um, and it, it was based on men escaping to the bathroom with their phones. <laughs> this, this is a very, right. I mean, low level, low hanging fruit here. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting to the, re- the of where this article was coming forth that uh, spoke to uh, the reality of of uh, they did a study and they asked men, you know, when you are frustrated in the home or, you know, when you are not wanting to serve the kids, you know, what is it? You know, what, they're there, sure. but they're in the restroom with their phones, yeah. um, you know, checking out. Totally do that, by the way. I, do, I mean, like, being well, asked, like... I, I read the article while in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> Lazy's, like, Lazy's just like, John, I know it doesn't take you 30 minutes. I know, it's true. <laughs> yeah, or it's like... Or my first thought is, the person who wrote that article doesn't have three kids. You know yes, I mean? right. yes. But but yet my wife is still outside with the kids. Sure, yeah. No, it's, yeah. So, but, but again, it's just, uh, again, a, a very, you know, weak connection of that reality of, hey, wait a second. You know, I, I'm going to give way to my carnal nature and and flee versus uh, uh, submit to the spiritual reality that I can be there physically, emotionally, you know, for my family, for my children. Um, and even if it needs, which it ought, it needs, you know, help from God right. as well. I love that connection, Matt. That's, <laughs> That's wonderful. Every once in a while I get there. <laughs>
Very cool. I, you know, um, I've had the privilege of teaching a rites of passage program in Richmond City Public Schools. And and so we first do assessments. Um, it's an outcomes-based program, and so we have to do pre- and post-assessments. And uh, part of those assessments are some questions concerning what they think of manhood. Mm. One of my favorite movies is 300. And I love when King Leonidas, you know, is... Or was it King Leonidas at the beginning that was going through the training and then he defeats the wolf in the woods and then later on it yeah. fast forwards yeah. and yeah. he is now king of Sparta. Mm-hmm. And this is this idea that for generations there was council of elders and there were men who brought their young boys through a rites of passage. And for larger context, I have four daughters. So it's also their young girls, right? In conjunction with mom bringing forth what she can bring forth. And then of course, with in a two parent household. Now, again, God can fill in the gaps because my father never had a father. And yet I've always had a father, right? And yeah. he wasn't perfect, but he was perfect for me. And so he accepted, as it states in Romans, Abba, Father, to lead him and to guide him. And though he lacked on earth, he was able to grow without you know, uh, without lack in his spirit being. But uh, for, 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 for the example, uh, uh, you know, for this example, I, I really like that movie because it specifically shows you an intentional track of uh, affirming manhood within our children. And almost every culture has, you know, our Jewish cultures, our Jewish brothers and sisters have a bar mitzvah, you know, mm-hmm. um, for their young males. Um, if you go to African culture as well, they'll have similarly a rites of passage where the council of elders of that village will gather and confirm and affirm the manhood of this young boy. And, and we can go down the the, 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 the tracks with this, but um, often in Western society, there there is no... Um, affirmation of manhood. There's actually really, not, I don't want to say fear, but um, I remember growing up and I, I was getting married. Well, you're not really a man yet. Wait till you have kids. I had one kid. Yeah, wait till you have two. I had two kids. Well, wait, I'm like, how many daggone kids yeah. do I need? Let's yeah. not play to the stereotype here. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and then, well, you don't own a home yet. It is as if men do not want you to uh, arrive to where they mm. are. Um, and versus this kind of heaven opening from you know, the skies opening and the father affirming the son before he had ever even done anything that he was to do. Um, affirming this is my son who I'm well pleased is very rare, even in Christian culture. Again, you know, my father was orphaned uh, naturally, but also orphaned spiritually early on, you know, from his spiritual dad, you know. Um, and and it, it, this competition comes in and, and we've got many, you know, men of God who are, are still dealing with father issues, father wounds, because they haven't had that father that was going and was willing to affirm them in who they were. And so with this Rites of Passage program, we actually start with that video, you know, to get the kid. Oh, man, all right, this isn't like any other program. They're going to show us, like, blood and the fighting of a wolf. Like, <laughs> I like these guys. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and, and we begin to ask, well, what do you think man, manhood is? Well, when you have sex, you're a man, you know? And so the more sex you have... Ha, the more of a man I am, yeah. right? Um, uh, or uh, another might say is, you know, when you get a job, you're a man, even though that's rare, right? Usually what they say is when you start making money, right? Because there's no defined acceptable or unacceptable way to make money. They're seeing their brother and their uncle sling drugs in the corner. Mm-hmm. And so making money is the goal. It doesn't matter how you get it. Fitty said it get rich or die trying, right? right? Yeah. And so th- th- they have a sense of masculinity that I believe is toxic, that though it might be cultural, I don't believe it's profitable in any way. And so when we go into these schools, we are not propagating any message other than I think what, what 
psychologists and doctors as a lot as a whole and healthy individuals would identify that there there might be many ways that you can move toward healthy manhood but these are not the ways um and and so i think in our and where we are now with conversations like this is to where can we get to a place that simply identify these re- realities are toxic mm-hmm. across the board um and now from there let's identify what what is healthy um, as well. And so, you know, privileged to be able to do that with many boys in the Richmond City uh, community. We have a program called Urban Rangers that we do it now with 35 boys from Gilpin Court, Holland Park, and Providence Park. And this is what we're going through. We're going through, you know, well, a man has self-control. Nah, you step to me? Nah, ain't no self-control. You just, a man is one who is respected. So that means if you disrespect me, in their mind, I can do whatever it takes to earn that respect back. So, so we're going through culturally what, what I love is we're asking them what you know to be a man. And then what we're trying to do is, all right, great, bring another way to consider. Um, and we've been seeing some amazing things happen when they have another perspective to consider as well. So I just wanted to bring that up as well, just thinking through with me, even with my girls. Like, what is it going to look like with my girls for them to be able to be affirmed in their womanhood? You know what I mean? What's my role as a father and what's my wife's role? Um, as a, as their mother, so that they're not going to be wondering, am I, am I a woman? Am I? No, you are. You you you're you're beautiful. You're valuable. You're you are a woman, and 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 we affirm you in your adulthood, and we're here for you. Um, but we want to let you know before the world tries to let you know, this is why you're a woman. X, Y, and Z. Now now, by God's grace and the help of His Spirit, we'll figure out the rest. <laughs> but at least now. You are, we're pleased with you. We love you. Um, you know, my prayer for my girls every day is, Lord, I pray that they will be fulfilled in you all the days of their life, never needing to find fulfillment in anything or anyone else. Um, and I think in manhood for me, um, I think we're, we're truly set free when we're not trying to get affirmation from external factors, but that we're receiving affirmation inward, um, you know, with what you spoke of, that spirit that resides in each of us. That's good. Nice. That's a word. Thank you, Manny. Um, cool. John, you got anything else? I'm good. All right. Good. Well, um, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Manny, thanks for being on. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. You guys go check out Lux Church, and um, that's L-U-X-C-H-U-R-C-H. I think they are on Instagram. And what's the website? Uh, Lux.church. All right. Lux.church. Easy enough. Um, and thanks for joining us. If you have quips, uh, questions, quotes, or comments, you can email them to staycurious at hillcityrva.com. You can also follow us uh, on Instagram at staycuriouspod or on on the bad website Twitter at Stay Curious Cast um, to engage in the conversation and make sure to share, uh, rate, and review us if you get a second so that other people can get in on that conversation too. Um, thanks everyone for joining us. We'll be back next week with our next installment of this masculinity series. And until then, remember, stay curious. Stay curious.